0: Hey folks, what's up? Welcome to your forest. I'm Matthew Kristoff. Does anybody else feel like they're living in an alternate universe or something? I do. <laughs> this is weird. It's been weird, uh, a weird six weeks, to say the very least. And uh, over the last six weeks, uh, going into this, I had a few recordings already done. Uh, so I released those. Uh, and since I've been stuck at home, I was trying to figure out how to do this. And doing it remotely is not my jam, but it's the only way to do it. So I went for it. And this episode today is going to be about COVID-19, just like everything you're, all the media you're consuming nowadays. I'm sure is <laughs> unfortunately, but it's the reality. And I thought it would be prudent to do a few things. So I talked to four different people today. We're only going to talk to two of them. Uh, the first one you guys are going to hear is Patty Campbell. She is the executive director for the Boreal Center for Bird Conservation here in Northern Alberta. And you guys have heard her before. She's been on the podcast twice before. And uh, I wanted to talk to her about how we can connect to nature during this time when we're all stuck inside. And she's uniquely set up to speak to exactly that kind of recreation, fortunately. So I talked to her about birding and how – People can get into birding and get into connecting with nature uh, by just looking out their window or by sitting in their backyard if they're fortunate enough to have one. Or going for a walk just somewhere nearby. It doesn't have to be in, you know, quote unquote, nature or wilderness. Just go outside, anywhere, somewhere. And when you're out for your walk around the neighborhood and you can connect to nature in a real way, even though... You can't do the things you want to do like go to your trails, do your hikes, uh, you know, go bike riding where you usually like to go bike riding, go climbing or whatever, ATV, whatever it is you're into, right? Um, so the first conversation is with Patty and it was awesome. You guys are going to like it. It just describes how you can get into it and how how awesome birding can be even during these times of social isolation and, you know, lockdown situation. <laughs> um. And the second person you're going to hear today is Brock Mulligan. He is the Director of Communications for the Alberta Forest Products Association. And I thought it would be a good idea to bring him on to talk about exactly how the industry is faring. What are the challenges? What's going on? Um, just as a whole, not specific to any mill or anything like that, but just talking about what are the issues and how is the industry faring? What, what, what's it going to look like when we come out of this? Um, it was a really good conversation and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. The next episode I have coming out is going to be along the same lines, but I'm going to be talking to Todd Zimmerling. He's the CEO of the Alberta Conservation Association. We're going to talk about hunting, fishing, conservation efforts like stalking fish and, and pheasant release and that kind of stuff, how all that's being affected. And also to Ellen McDonald. Um, she is the chair of the Department of Renewable Resources at the University of Alberta and also she's been on the podcast before and that's my dog Moose coming into the basement to say hi. <laughs> hey Moose, what's up buddy? Uh, yeah, hazards of working from home. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's going to be a great conversation talking with Ellen about uh, how the university has been affected, how they've changed things and what they're hopefully what they're planning or, or looking into doing for the future for next semesters and that kind of stuff if we're still in this situation. All great conversations. You guys are going to appreciate hearing it. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys like it. Sponsors for this episode, Wes Fraser is the number one sponsor for 2020. And I could not thank them enough for all of their awesome work, obviously, in uh, in forestry and in sustainability and uh, for helping me out with this. Without them, this really wouldn't be possible the way it is. So thank you so much to Wes Fraser. And, uh, also secondary sponsor is Green Lake Forestry. Green Lake Forestry has been with me since the beginning. And again, I, I couldn't do this without them still also doing great work in the forest industry. And finally, Damaged Timber. Damaged Timber is a local company out of uh, Edmonton, Alberta. And they are, they used to sell clothes and that kind of stuff. Now they more or less just going towards hats, but they also sell their, their main product now that he's trying to get onto is these Locally made, locally sourced, uh, cutting boards and that kind of stuff. So they're really awesome. Like he, he's going to wildfire burnt areas, harvesting the wood from those trees and turning those into cutting boards and butcher blocks and charcuterie boards and that kind of stuff. It is awesome. You guys definitely need to check it out. Damagedtimber.com. Put it in your forest tent at checkout to get 10% off. And that's about it. Let's dive into it. Here is myself and Patty talking about how we can connect with nature in these trying times. Here we go.
1: Well, and birding's one of those things where there's so many scales. You can have like the hardcore birder that's got their life lists and they're, you know, they're, they're hard into it and can tell you every bird they've ever seen. And then you've got the ones who just enjoy the bird in the moment. And yeah, it, they're all, they're all perfect.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So yeah, I guess we can get right into it. We're kind of, we're kind of talking about it already. So, um, so I guess we should, we'll start off like, what is, what is birding to you?
1: So, uh, you're always learning something new. You're always seeing a new bird. You're trying to learn a new song. You know, I like puzzles and mysteries. So that sort of appeals to me when I go holidaying, you know, if I'm in an exotic place, I know I'm not going to know the, I'm not supposed to know the birds out there. So, but I, I just love sort of hearing something new, stocking it down, trying to figure field marks, trying to figure out what it is. I might get it right. I might not, but that's not the important thing. It's just that whole process of enjoying that bird, trying to figure out more about it. So I guess that's what I enjoy about birding.
0: Yeah. the Like the little bit that I've done as well has just been, been very similar in that sense in that it's, uh. When you do look into something and you, and you do figure out what a bird was or what a bird's song is, then it, it's, it's seared into your memory mm-hmm. for pretty much ever after that. Cause you put a bunch of work into figuring it out and now you know something more about, you know, the outdoor world that you're trying to connect to. So it's, yeah, it's definitely enhanced my understanding of the outdoors and it's made me, made me a better, I don't know, not an ecologist, but so, you know, something along those lines, better understanding the whole ecology of everything. So it's cool.
1: Well, and as an educator, like birds are, I'm- Really great way to connect, connect kids and people to the natural environment because a lot of wildlife, it's pretty, it's pretty subtle. I mean, you might see that coyote in the ditch or a deer in the field, but it's rare. Um, but there's always birds around and if you can't see them, you can hear them. And, you know, so you can start telling stories about that little chickadee you can see or the bird, you know, teach them a bird song. And so it's a really neat way to connect people with with nature, whether it's out in the forest or even in their own backyard, like everybody has birds that are, you know, kind of flying around in the neighborhood and, you know, everybody knows a chickadee. So it's an instant hook when you're doing a programming with kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially like during this time of the whole COVID-19, we're all kind of stuck inside and we're trying to, you know, we're all getting antsy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. We want, we want to connect again. Right. So I, I think it's a perfect opportunity for, for people to get into birding and that kind of stuff. Even like you said, even if it's just in your backyard or even if you're living in an apartment or something like that, you just open up your, your side window and I'm sure there'll be birds flying by or there's trees somewhere nearby that you can maybe, you know, you don't need any gear. You don't even need, you don't even need to know anything like just, start appreciating, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's lots of free resources. You just need a little piece of forest or your backyard and you don't want to be, I know there's lots of concern right now, but everyone going out into the provincial parks and kind of these, you know, that whole idea about, you know, trying to distance people and too many people in one spot, you know, in birding, you don't want to even be in those areas to start with because if there's all those people, there aren't any birds. So, you know, you're really just looking for that little wetland just at the edge of town or a little piece of forest in your, in your community or somewhere quiet and just kind of go sit and and uh, just take some time and you'll start seeing that wa- the wildlife and the birds moving around and yeah it's easy bird watching in fact I've yeah. actually started a where I'm sitting I the neighbor across the street has uh, some really nice trees so I've actually started my birding checklist for my from my computer I was actually saw some swans going by this morning
0: there you go. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. It's, and I think that's, you, you touched on something that I thought was really important, especially in this time um, of the pandemic and that, was that I, I think for me, it almost starts at a place of taking a second to just go sit outside, take a deep breath, a couple deep breaths, relax, kind of settle yourself into the moment and then just listen, start just by listening for something. And then, See, listen to how many things you can hear and don't, you know what I mean? Just try to, try to enjoy that and start with that.
1: Just, yeah, just be, I think. You know, everyone's feeling, you know, this, you know, we're virtually connecting with people out there, but in a lot of ways, it's just you and your family or you and your partner in your home or you by yourself. And I think people are feeling really isolated and that need to connect to something. And I think that's why a lot of the social media stuff is just exploding right now. But so just going anywhere, just somewhere, peace, quiet, just sit. And like you say, just sort of breathe, close your eyes, just kind of listen to the wind and the, the sounds of nature and the bird and connecting to something. and you know it just sort of settles you and calm for me personally that that's what I need when I when I need some R&R is just that peace and quiet it settles you it kind of just connects you to yeah it's it's they they talk about nature therapy and birding is a great way to kind of get into that
0: oh totally like I so the last two mornings um I wake up kind of right before sunset uh, before I start work in the in the basement, I'm recording this in the basement of my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, but I'll wake up around five o'clock and I'll not saying everyone has to do this, but I've been I've been pouring myself a cup of coffee and I just go sit outside for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and just listen to the. It's mostly just house sparrows and the odd robin, the odd magpie. Um, but I just sit there and listen as the sun comes up, right? And it's just it's such a. I found myself over the last month during this pandemic, being stuck in the house kind of thing, just having built anxiety mm-hmm. over that time. Yeah. And I've really noticed the last two days that just getting out and just taking 15 minutes just to listen and breathe and try not to think about anything else, just think, of, just focus on the sounds that you're hearing and that kind of stuff, not even really birding. like I'm just really listening yeah. and thinking about the birds that I know. And then if I hear a song that I don't know, then I'll later on I'll look it up and try and try and find that song. Right, there's a really cool app actually. Um, you, you probably know about the Merlin Bird ID. App. Yeah,
1: that's actually our favorite for our bander in charge down at the Bird Observatory, and it is a great app because it's totally free. You can just download the the the, the songs for kind of whatever region you're in, and yeah, I know it's uh, yeah,
0: globally. Yep. It's good for globally. Like mm-hmm. it's got you can download. Uh, for every area that you want you can download it's 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 massive there's so many it's 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 all there it's done by cornell i think cornell lab or something like that
1: yeah no it's uh yeah there's amazing resources out there now like the old days of packing around your field guides you know in your knapsack uh, you know there's still people (laughs) that love field guides but uh yeah so much of it's going digital now and that ability to hear the songs um Mm -hmm. really helps people learn and and kind of figure out that bird id piece now
0: Totally. I think, you know, anybody that's listening that wants to do get into this, I think that Merlin Bird ID app is like a great place to start. Because like you said, it even t- shows you once you find the bird, it shows you the song, you can listen yeah. to the song. Like, yeah, that's the one I heard. Or mm-hmm. you can pick colors and, it'll, and sizes and it'll tell you, it'll give you a list of birds that, you know, it could potentially be. And you can select from that. It's so, it's so interesting. But yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you think, so how do you think people should start?
1: Sometimes when people are learning birds, um, what we recommend, especially with kids, really enjoy them, is go out and find, especially this time of year, um, here we go at the river mouth, someplace where there's some open water. And right now, we're just at the beginning of spring migration, so the waterfowl are starting to move through. So the swans I talked about earlier and the ducks and the geese, so they're coming in and they're just kind of hanging out, either resting during migration or just hanging out waiting for these little pothole lakes to open up. And so they're great for learning because they're ca- they're sitting ducks literally. <laughs> they they're not <laughs> moving, right? As opposed to little birds yeah. in the trees. So, you know, again, you've got limited in number, they're they're big, they've got especially the males have, you know, pretty easy markings, so it's a great way to kind of if you've got kids or even yourself kind of learn you know learn learn the waterfowl so it's a good place to start in the next couple of weeks we're going to start seeing a lot of the songbirds migrating through for us up in Slave Lake the warblers typically start arriving mid-May and then we'll have lots and lots of birds moving through and and, and definitely a lot more diversity so finding some spots to go and we talked about it before is um, it's not like you have to go hunting and and hiking through the forest to go look for all these trees or all these birds literally just find a spot the birds will tend to quiet when you first get there because obviously you're disturbing them right. um, but kind of go find a good spot find a comfortable spot to go lean against a tree and then basically just wait enjoy the moment you know just listen to the sounds of nature and what you'll discover is that forest will start coming alive and you'll start seeing those birds, you know, they'll get used to you hanging out there. They'll figure out you're not a threat. And then your bird watching will, you know, it will really pick up. And and you talked before about the songs. It's just really listening. Once the, in the boreal forest, once everything greens up, it's really hard to see a lot of these songbirds, especially the ones that are kind of higher up in the trees, but you can hear them. So even just sort of really enjoying the sounds of them, maybe you can, you know, you can use those those songs to figure out where they are, try and spot them, Try and identify them. And then by seeing them and hearing them, it can kind of really enforce that, that identification for you. So the next time you hear that song, you'll know what that bird is. I, uh, actually like, I, I love learning new songs every year. And every time I'm walking through the forest, I'm sort of doing almost like an auditory scavenger hunt. I always like yeah. walking through the forest and, uh, you know, like how many, how many different birds can I hear? And the next time I go through that same bit of forest, can I hear a new, can I hear a new bird? Yeah. And if you are going to the same area over the summer, that's, it's, it's fun to sort of learn what new birds are coming in because birds will arrive at different times during migration. So you can kind of see who's new to the neighborhood and it helps you sort of learn some of those birds over a month instead of trying to learn all of them in one day. So I've got, I've got a friend, uh, a friend that every morning she gets up at the crack of dawn and she has her route that she walks, you know, out, just outside of town through some, there's some little wetlands and some, some forested areas. And she knows intimately the birds that are in there. And so she gets to see the young birds when they're fledging. And she gets to basically spend her whole summer with her, her group of birds. And that that's one of the, yeah. one of the cool things about it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's, and yeah, it doesn't need to take up a bunch of time and money. Just like, just, just wherever you can get connected to nature, wherever there's trees or something, even if it's just on your sidewalk or whatever, there's going to be birds around, right? Like, like you said, if you can just focus on them, they'll be there, and it might help.
1: Well, and if you're wanting to encourage the birds, to, we often get asked by people, so you know, why I've put a feeder up, why aren't there? Any birds in my backyard or, or that type of thing. And a lot of it depends on the habitat in your neighborhood. But yeah. I mean, if you've got good diversity at, if you right now people are looking at doing landscaping in their yards because hey, they've got lots of time. But, uh, you know, if yeah. you're, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but sort of look at creating your backyard, trying to make it more bird friendly. So, you know, yeah. putting a variety of shrubs, variety of different kind of flowers, you know, put out some feeders, um, you know, with different types of seed in it, a water, you know, a a bird bath to give them a bit of a water feature. So if you create a reason, a a place that birds have lots of options, lots of variety, there's cool things to Mm -hmm. eat there. They feel safe in that neighborhood. Uh, yeah. you can literally just be sitting on your deck and watching them. In fact, uh, I've got yeah. another one of our members in town here. I think the best burning in town is probably sitting in his back deck and he's got, <laughs> he's right on the edge of a green belt and he's got all sorts of feeders and the, the birds are, are crazy there. He's had, um, actually in this past winter there was robins overwintering behind his place because hey, it was oh, an wow. awesome place to hang. <laughs>
0: There you go. So yeah, you can awesome. definitely
1: just enjoy. You don't have to go out anywhere. You can be a, be an avid bird watcher just sitting in your backyard.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the big the big point right now, right? Is that a lot of people won't have the opportunity to get out into the bush or find a quiet place mm-hmm. where they're not putting themselves at risk, they're not putting the public health at risk, and you know what I mean? Because a lot of people their their connection to nature is the river river valley in edmonton or some green space in the city where you probably shouldn't be going uh, you know what i mean during peak hours and stuff like that you got to be cautious
1: Um, well and and lots of those parks are you know a lot of the provincial parks and the and the the national parks are all closed right now a lot of the you know Mm -hmm. a lot of those green spaces are 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 closed down so you know they aren't accessible i mean but you don't necessarily want to be at a place with piles and piles of people. But the other no. thing is if you're really wanting to get into bird watching, I mean, when you're going out is early, early in the morning, long before all of the casual, you know, walkers are heading out to, for their R&R yeah. for the day. So there's a real opportunity mm-hmm. to to go to those places in the off peak hours, you know, <laughs> kind of just enjoy it, Like you do with your coffee in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. going doing the same thing, just finding a nice quiet spot to just kind of enjoy it in the morning.
0: Yeah. And it helps a lot with like, Personally, for me, it helps me a lot with my mental health. Yes. It like just keeps me sane, just kind of taking a second to almost meditate sort of thing, mm-hmm. right? And just didn't take in what the surroundings. And it's, it's funny. It's mostly just house sparrows I have in the backyard. The odd robin comes through or a blue jay or something like that and magpies, of course. But I have a giant Colorado blue spruce in my backyard and there must be a 100... How sparrows in it every day because it's almost deafening out there how loud they are right but it's it's interesting it's really really cool to just sit there and listen and watch them jumping around and doing stuff and 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 also just getting interested in their their day to day, like not just their sound and what they are, but like, oh, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what's, what's this one doing? Where are they, are they fighting? Are they mating? Are they, is that one eating? Is it, what's it looking for? What's it, is it building a nest? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And well, and later you'll just...
1: see them, you know, what they call provisioning, but you'll see them flying around with food, feeding their young. So it's kind of really neat just watching their whole little life cycle over a summer.
0: It's awesome. No, I love it. And I think it's the perfect opportunity for people to get into it right now, right? It's that connection to nature. Like, I think how, how important do you think? Now of all times, uh, our connection to nature and, you know, seeking that, that place of not necessarily solitude, but that place of just a reset. <laughs>
1: uh, oh, reset. Yeah. As a, as a, is a, is a good word for it, or just connect grounding people, I guess maybe is a, another yeah. term for it. I think, yeah. And I know for myself personally, when all this first started, I mean, everybody, I think everybody had that sort of panic mode where, you know, you're trying to get ready and you're having to stay home. Like there was all of this stuff happening very quickly, but now we're, we're hard in it. Everyone's been sitting at home for, you know, for like a month now and everything that's happening is so beyond our control. And so Mm -hmm. I think in some ways people are drifting a little bit or at the point where they're starting to get you know, they're getting frustrated or whatever, like it's starting to wear on people. So Absolutely. I think, you know, knowing that, okay, you're, sta- you know, you're self-isolating, but that doesn't mean you have to be sitting on your couch all day. You know, you, yeah. you can go out and safely with, you know, with your family or as an individual, be still self-isolating, you know, be distance from, you know be, you know, be practicing physical distancing and still go out and have that breath of fresh air and get out of the house like I had a I was talking to someone the other day and they just got in their vehicle and went for a drive like outside of town Mm -hmm. just for the fact they were seeing something new (laughs) like it was huge for them so I think I think that piece is becoming really important for people is just kind of getting out and kind of just being able to breathe
0: Totally. That's exactly what it is, right? Like, we're all getting frustrated. We all want to go outside. Mm-hmm. We all want to see our friends. We all want to go to a restaurant, go to a pub. We all want to do all of these things that we don- have some semblance of normal. Yeah, in we want to be able right? to
1: control something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but it sounds like we might be doing this for quite a while, if not the rest of the year for who knows, right? I think so some of gotta... those
1: basic, I mean, you know, things will obviously lighten up to some degree, but I think some of these social patterns of, you know, kind of being very selective in terms of who you get together with, those patterns are going to be with us for a while. So kind of coming up with some rethinking, maybe it's a chance to take up a new hobby of birding or do something different or learn the guitar like people are doing, but doing something different just because life is going to be different. Uh, When we talk about some of that social networking is happening is even though birding often is a very solitary activity, it's a very social hobby. So um, whether it's, you know, there's iNaturalist and eBird and, you know, lots of online nature groups. So there's a real opportunity to connect with people and find out what people, you know, if people want to learn more, um, find out what's in their area on resources. There's huge, huge network of birding groups out there that, you know, would have lots of information for people.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. There's a lot of resources out mm-hmm. there. All I got to do is Google it and it pops up. And yeah, it's an easy one to get into. It doesn't cost anything. You don't you don't even need binoculars, I would say, if you if you're just trying to get connected to nature somehow. Mm-hmm. Later down the line, if you have the means to you can get some, but in the meantime, don't worry about it. Just, just, just
1: enjoy. enjoy the sound. I always so, say yeah. I just enjoy the moment.
2: It is 5.30 in the morning, about 25 minutes before sunrise, on May 1st, and I am just sitting in my backyard with a coffee, listening to the birds. How's a robin just flew over my head? Whole bunch of house sparrows in my spruce tree. There's a crow nearby. A couple of them. I haven't seen any magpies yet, but I'm sure they're around. This is nature, right in your backyard. <laughs>
0: great it's a good way to kind of start thinking about nature a little bit differently hey like how can we we don't have to be in the middle of the backcountry the middle of nowhere to connect to nature to find those i don't know start building those those connections back up from this six weeks we're all stuck in our basements (laughs) so uh yeah that was awesome i couldn't thank patty enough for for her contribution and now we're going to brock Talking about the forest industry specifically and, uh, yeah, how they're faring, how they've reacted, um, how the outlook is, and, um, what the challenges are. Here we go. So, yeah, maybe we should start off talking about. Just quickly talk about your position and the AFPA and why the AFPA would be, uh, why you guys are good candidates to speak about uh, COVID-19 and
3: with respect to the forest industry. Uh, Sure. So I'm Brock Mulligan and I've been the communications director at AFPA for about 10 years now. Uh, It's a great job. I think this is the most salt of the earth industry out there. Um, as an association, we've been around since 1942, so it's been a heck of a nice run for us. Um, we represent the, the vast majority of the forest industry in Alberta, uh, all of the pulp producers, um, pretty much all of the lumber production, and probably about two thirds of the panel. Right. Um, and as well as the, uh, a handful of smaller secondary producers as well. So I think that we have a, uh, our finger on the pulse of the industry and, and uh, have gotten quite a bit of feedback from our members about how this COVID thing is affecting them. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just kind of all in it together and, and with people who really, really care about what they do. And I think that we're seeing that um, as COVID develops here because our, our products are, are really essential, whether you're talking about... I mean, everybody, uh, I think the one that's getting a lot of attention right now is toilet paper. Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, I
0: imagine they're doing okay, hey? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. But I mean, then, then there's the masks, there's surgical drapes, there's filters that keep our transportation system going. All this stuff is, is absolutely critical. And I, I think pulp, especially, is a bit of an unsung hero. But, but as the COVID situation evolves, I think there's a lot of folks out there who are, who are kind of realizing how important the stuff that our industry produces is.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's it's kind of behind the scenes. It's not people. People don't really think about it all that much, right? It's 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 tough to get that message out there. But no, I totally agree. So, so maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, just on a very surface level how the industry is faring
3: all in all from your perspective. What's what's going on? Sure. So on the lumber side of things and the panel side as well, kind of the, the building products. We're really, really dependent on, uh, the U.S. market and to a lesser extent, our domestic market here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the situation has, has frankly devastated those markets. Um, folks don't have the confidence to build. They may be struggling financially because of the outbreak. Uh, construction sites are shut down in some jurisdictions. So the, so the building product side has really taken a big hit. And I think mm-hmm. that we're starting to see a little bit more optimism now that we, we we've kind of seen that there's an end to this with some of the European jurisdictions and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And so folks are realizing that you know there is life after the COVID crisis, and that we need to prepare for that. um But mm-hmm. at the same time, th- those products have have been hit pretty hard. Right uh, on the pulp side, of, of course, there's. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a cruel tease for our pulp industry because on one hand, there's really strong dema- demand for some of the hygienic products like toilet paper and the, and the medical supplies that I just mentioned. And, and the trick there is that those products all use softwood pulp. And mm-hmm. in order to make them here in Alberta, uh, first of all, the log goes to the sawmill where they, they, they make lumber and then the residuals go over to the, over to the pulp mill. And so, what we've seen is because uh, sawmills are are ramping down in production, it's actually difficult for some of the pulp mills to get the residuals they need to make make their product. And then on the other side in pulp, uh, our pulp producers, of course, make hardwood pulp as well, which tends to go more into the graphics, advertising, paper markets, and those markets are taking a beating. So, on one hand, uh, producers are are struggling to produce the products that people really want because they can't get the raw material and the the uh, stuff that could be made independently of a sawmill isn't in as much a demand, so there's there's a bit of a trick there
0: right. so there's a lot a lot like what's the um do you have the numbers on the number of people that are directly employed by mills?
3: uh yeah, so under, we're just under twenty thousand direct employees and then a, another uh twenty five to thirty thousand indirect employees who are you know doing things like hauling our product, uh providing consulting and environmental services. Uh, providing supplies, all that kind of stuff.
0: Right, right, right. So a lot of people, so a lot of people affected for sure. Um, How many mills are, I mean, I I know it's probably inevitable that a lot of mills are are probably temporarily closing their doors. I'm sure everyone's trying to do what they can to keep open as long as possible, but it just might not be feasible at some point. Um, Do you know much about what's going on there?
3: yeah so in alberta we're we're fortunate frankly in mm. for a couple of reasons. Number one, we have a pretty modern industry. a lot of our mm. mills are are kind of nineteen nineties or newer and yeah. and even the ones that are older have had a lot of capital poured into them. so we operate a lot more competitively and efficiently than than some of the other jurisdictions with older mills and the other thing is we've had a government that that's been pretty responsive and done a really good job they've They've done things like the defer stumpage dues. Um, and, and work with us on some of the regulations too, because frankly, we don't, we don't have, uh, as many folks around to, to do some of the reporting as we'd like. And, and they've shown some flexibility. And I think right. that that's allowed us to, to probably weather the storm a little bit better than some other jurisdictions. The vast majority of production here in Alberta right now is running. There's, there's some, uh, most mills have, have, have taken a bit of a haircut and had a shift or two, or sorry, had a few hours reduced, but for the most part, uh everybody's employed and running. That's huge. That's, yeah. That's, so, th- like, so that's day and age, that's massive. Th- that's really good. And 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 other jurisdictions, as we talked to some of our colleagues, are, are frankly not not faring as well. So I think it's a, yeah. a real credit to some of the things that have been done in Alberta. Um because mm-hmm. they are going to allow us to weather this in a pretty good position.
0: That's good. That's good to hear because I I mean, even myself, like I'm I'm in the industry, right? And I have family working in the industry and that and it's it's still, it's not exactly clear what the future is going to look like um, depending on how long this goes on for, right? Like we're sitting, this is April 20th, we're recording this and it's still, we're, we're still climbing in numbers, right? We're still looking for a long ways out before things go back to normal. I mean, who knows, right? whether we need a vaccine or whatever, we won't get into that. Neither of us are doctors. Yeah, I mean,
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm not an epidemiologist either. I, I think there is at least some optimism in that we've seen some countries go through the worst of it and, and kind of start to come out the other side. So at least we know right. what this looks like. It, it's not, yep. um, nobody has all the answers, but at least we have some idea now.
0: Right, for sure. So it's good to hear that the, that a lot of the mills are still up and running to some extent, at least like, yeah, like I've heard um, that a couple of mills are working uh, every other shift kind of thing where they usually run four shifts. They're running two, giving eight hours in between to do whatever they're doing, cleaning or whatever. And so that's good. It's, it's, it's good that, that we've been, we've been fortunate in that aspect to keep mills running and keep people working. Right. Cause that's, that's probably the biggest thing right now. A lot of people are that just don't have money. So just making sure that families can, can take care of themselves. Right.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the, this is a tricky time for our industry in some regards because uh, you spend all winter logging, and, and of course, mm-hmm. there, there's huge dollars that go out the door for a mill when that happens. Yeah. And now suddenly you're seeing, and, and of course, you'd anticipate that you'd get that return in the spring when construction season ramps up. And it mm-hmm. looks like, to some extent, that just might not happen. Like we might any any analysis I've seen suggests that uh, 2020 construction season might kind of be a bit of a write off. And we're yeah. and we're looking forward now to 2021. So in that regard, it, it it it's a tough time, but I mean, fortunately, due to some of the other things that we've talked about here in Alberta, we're we're able to weather it, you know, reasonably well.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 really really good to hear. Um, is there an outlook for um, like are, like are things getting any better right now for the forest industry? Or are they getting worse? Like, are there? I'm trying to get a feel for what things are going to look like come summertime. Say if we're still kind of in lockdown situation here and uh our mills like how are mills preparing for an eventuality like that like we maybe i don't i don't know about the fall and actually getting into winter harvesting and stuff like that that's probably another beast but just to survive the summer what are what are mills doing to prepare for that
3: well i think they're thinking pretty closely about about production levels because uh, mm-hmm. you don't want to flood the market at a time when nobody's buying, so that that there's a bit of a dance there to keep folks employed and and to keep the mill running, but at the same time not to not to pile up inventory that you're not going to be able to sell. Yeah, because uh, you you created the prices like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking forward to to by the summer things. I don't think they'll be normal, but at least some construction activity going on because I think that mm-hmm. if we were in full on lockdown. Until say late fall, there, there'd be a lot of pain in our industry and, and, and every other sector of the economy too. I don't think anybody can handle six months of, of pretty much no economic activity. Um, I would also say that on the, like we've seen lumber futures start to, to kind of peak up a little bit in the last few days. So Mm. that, that's encouraging. That means that folks, uh, around the world who buy our products are thinking that at some point in the future, they are, they are going to get to build and this is going to turn around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think people know that eventually we will get back to normal. It's just a matter of the timeline and everyone's, there's so much fear and anxiety and stress around what's going to happen when, and you you know, I think right now the major issue is everyone's just trying to manage their own mental health, their own psychological place, right? in, In this whole thing. Cause I think that's, that's one of the, that's one of the bigger ones to try and deal with right now as well, as far as just surviving this thing, yeah. right?
3: Yeah. And and of course and, and trying to modify a lot of processes that go on you know around our facilities kind of on the fly. Right. Like yeah. Our facilities are are fortunate in the in that for the most part the social distancing kind of thing is pretty possible. Mm-hmm. Um because people, folks aren't you know working side by side on the assembly line or anything like that. But at the same time, there's all yeah. these kind of routine tasks that you really have to think about that are that are changing so rapidly.
0: For sure. Like you said, we're, we're fortunate in that they can operate to some degree within the the
3: constraints of this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, we we've seen the situation in some other industries where the where folks work immediately side by side on the assembly line, and they've had real struggles. So, so fortunately, for yeah. us, we, we're not there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like we're hearing all this news about the the meat packing plant down south. Yeah, the cause of a lot of cases and stuff. And what I've been reading, anyways, is that a lot of it had to do with exactly that. No, there wasn't wasn't possible to do social distancing, and as a result, it caused some problems. Which is exactly the kind of situation we want to avoid.
3: Yeah, and we're also fortunate not to have employees who live in who live in camps. Uh, Mm -hmm. everybody in our industry goes home at the end of the day, which is uh, a lot easier than having a lot of folks living on site. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. For sure. That makes sense. Um, So you were saying before that there is, there is some government assistance going directly to forest industry and that kind of stuff.
3: Um, Is that, has that been sufficient so far? Yeah. So government of Alberta has deferred dues. No, I mean, I, that's, that's not, Cash assistance to our industry that just means that we have up to six months to pay for some of the the logs that have been brought in over the winter. Right. Uh, so that that's helps. I mean that's not everything, but it, it's a big help. There's mm-hmm. also some kind of broad assistance across the economy that's available to folks who've been affected.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Some of it we're looking at it right now because some of it is a little bit uh, tricky. Just to, just the way mm-hmm. our industry works. Um, for example, if you had a really strong January and your prices have dropped off significantly, you're able to, to qualify for some of the different wage subsidy assistance. But the thing in the forest industry is nobody has a strong January, uh, at least on the mm-hmm. building's product building products side, because that's not the time of year that you're sending stuff out. So just, just right. trying to make some of those numbers uh, work for our industry is a little bit tricky. Like we are we are going through a tough time. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's just that some of the reporting periods don't necessarily capture it all that well.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, you sound pretty optimistic. You sound like the forest industry has some built-in resilience and some some capacity to to innovate a little bit and change change the the way they do things to to manage around this pandemic. Um, would you say that we're we're fortunate in that aspect and that we are we do have a little bit of resiliency like how resilient would you say the industry is yeah i think we
3: are thing? fortunate we we do have some resilience yeah. um and and i mean to be perfectly blunt about it i think that that our industry if you look at forest industries around the world we have some of the best staff really like some of the the best educated most productive folks who work mm-hmm. in the forest industry Uh, throughout the world work in Alberta. So that that really contributes to the resilience that we have as an industry. And and of course, just the fact that um, our industry is a little bit newer here. So we do tend to have those newer, more competitive facilities. Yeah, Um, That's going to help us as as we go forward.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's a a good point with the, yeah, having, you know, world-class staff that we have or world-class workers that we have here. Um, Do you think that, because of this pandemic, that industry itself, and I'm not saying this was an issue before, but do you think that there's been a little bit more recognition in the value of communities as far as the forest industry is concerned? And can you speak to any, has there been any stories or any like interesting things that have happened where you can speak to where the community has stepped up or, you know, come together and tried to overcome some of these challenges?
3: Yeah, I mean, we've been working to profile some of the stuff that that's been going on, and and a number of our members stepped up. Like for example, the the Mercer uh, Pulp Mill, which is a, located just north of Peace River, they did their seven days of giving, so they went out to seven different organizations in their community, uh, and many of those organizations are are really, you know, I think having a tough time because folks are are economically stressed and they're needing to access services. So things like the food bank, uh, homeless shelter. Uh, women's shelter, those kinds of things. Our industry is really looking at how we can support them. And, and we've seen a lot of members, uh, step up recently and, and make some cash donations.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And, and just the, the support of, I think it's huge that the, the forest industry has been managed to, you know, keep their doors open and keep their people working and just recognize how important it is to their employees, um, from, from everyone, right? To, haulers log haulers to to uh you know people people in the mill themselves actually you know pulling stuff off the line and mechanics and everything and it's it's i think right now in this crazy time that we're living in that value in community i think is really starting to shine you know like it's really starting to really starting to see how important it is that we have community values and and we have each other's back right
3: yeah, and I, and I I think our our industry has, has always realized that it, it's the type of community, it's the type of industry that that forestry is, right? Where mm-hmm. as an association, we've got multiple members who've been in the same community, owned by the same family for fifty, sixty years. So, so to some extent, we kind of knew this already. But, but mm-hmm. I think like everybody else, you kind of take for granted. Uh you know just going out and being able to see folks in your community and talk to them and and see what's going on and now that that's been taken away and uh yeah, yeah I mean you realize how darn important it is,
0: oh yeah. No, it's, yeah, I'm definitely starting to go a little stir crazy and I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, you know, my, I have a wife and a daughter at home and I can speak to them and I've been speaking to my family and friends online and that. But I mean, there's a lot of people who are stuck at home. They live by themselves and they're, I can't imagine the difficulty they must be going through, through some of this. Right. And everyone's got a different situation. So there may be, you know, the opposite might be true where people have too many people living in their house and they're all stuck in there trying to manage one another. It's got to be, it's, it's really pointed out the importance of community, but as well as... Just normalcy, right? Like the importance of having some kind of schedule and some a place to go to be alone as well. It's weird.
3: <laughs> yeah. I got to go to the office one day this week and I've never felt so stoked to go to my office.
0: <laughs> I know. Same. I'm I came to the like I was telling you earlier, I came to the recording studio to do this because no one's been here for a month, so I'm safe. But but yeah, it's <laughs> it was I've never been so excited just to come to the office. There's no one here, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been something else. So uh so uh some of the other challenges you're talking about um you were saying right now that we have to be careful not to uh, you know fill up the market with a bunch of a bunch of product that's not being used so I'm, I'm i'm assuming that has a huge role to play in in keeping mills open and not you know not overflowing the market like what are some of the other challenges that are facing the the industry at this time
3: well i mean transportation is always a challenge in our industry so yeah. that and and obviously the You know any type of outbreak where you start seeing things locked down and and folks being unable to to interact uh, Mm -hmm. causes huge challenges on the transportation front. So that that I think is a big one. Um, The economy, kind of at large, is is a big challenge. But there's also that that psychological kind of element to the economy, right? Mm -hmm. And, And even though I mean a lot of folks are hurting financially, and even those who aren't don't necessarily want to go out right now and embark on you know a big buying spree for a building project and that that kind of uncertainty and and psychological you know reticence really hurts well everybody in the economy but it's definitely a challenge for our industry i'm not sure i don't think there's a solution there you just have to ride it out but that that's you know tough
0: yeah oh no kidding absolutely this, this there's just so much uncertainty in every aspect everyone's i mean you you go out in public now <clears throat> say you have to go grocery shopping, and everybody kind of treats everybody like i don't know like you're you're a bad person and like stay away from that person <laughs> like it's 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 weird having these two meter bubbles around us and it's even in two meters it's or, uh, outside of two meters people start getting within like you know, four meters of me, I start going. What are you doing? Where are you going? What's going on? Yeah, are you know why, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you just kind of—it's—it's—it's going to cause some really interesting changes in our society on the other end too, right? Like, it, there's going to be so much social anxiety. I can imagine. And I, and I just hope
3: it's not permanent, Matt. Uh, I hope that, that this blows over in a couple months and we can all go to the pub again. But yeah, I mean, who knows, right?
0: Oh, I—I I, yeah, I feel bad for the service industry, right? Restaurants and that kind of stuff that are just the. They have like i I don't know how you help them, like I don't know how you fix this right it's I feel really, really bad for them, and I just hope that they can hold on and they can open all their, everyone can open their doors again when this when this is all over because yeah, like you said, we all love going out and <clears throat> you know going to the pubs and hanging out with friends and and seeing family and yeah we, we need those things, right, especially when this is all over it's going to be very important
3: yeah, I mean, I think in in one day last month, kind of as things were closing, I went to a restaurant, I went to a promotional items, place that we deal with. I went to a dry cleaner and I talked to an ad agency and, and you know all of them were just small businesses that were that were knowing that they were going to just be absolutely devastated. And I mean, it, it's yeah. heartbreaking. I, I, it really I don't is. know any other way to put it.
0: Yeah. No, I feel for everybody out there that's hurting. I can't imagine the difficulty that so many people must be going through right now. And I just hope that they know that they're not going through this alone. We're all in this together and we just got to try to hold on for a little while longer, hopefully. And we can, we can come out of this better in the end, maybe who knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So how do you think, this is kind of an odd question, I guess, but um, how do you think we can come out of this stronger as far as I'm talking about the forest industry and that Um, like, are there any opportunities in this for the forest industry in Alberta or Canada or whatever? um, Once things get back on track where we can become a bigger role player in the world markets and, and, you know, maybe provide sustainable materials to more places or whatever.
3: Well, I mean, I think that one of the big opportunities is that folks have, have started to, as we talked about earlier, see how valuable our products really are. Yeah. Uh, so there, there, there's a definite opportunity there. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's probably an opportunity for Canada at large, um, We've seen that the Canadians band. Number one, we band together, and number two, like we're pretty darn organized, even in a crisis. This mm-hmm. place is not falling off the rails. Product is still getting delivered, um, even though the world around us is is experiencing a really tough time. And I think that there's a, there's a chance to brand ourselves there as, as a reliable supplier. That you know, even even when the world's going through hell, you can count on Canada. We'll still get you what you need.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just chug it along. We'll <laughs> we'll be here as long as we can be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what what do you what do you think might be I mean if this was to go really really bad what would be lost? Like w- how would people's lives be changed if like the forest industry went down as a whole I, that's not going to happen I'm just saying like what
3: what would be lost if the forest industry had to shut its doors? Well, I mean uh right now the oil industry is is struggling mightily. And in the, and it sounds like there will be for probably months and months and months, possibly years. And in a lot of communities where we operate, we're kind of the cushioning when, when the energy industry goes down. I mean, I don't think that mm-hmm. there's a, a forestry community, uh, that, that, in Alberta where forestry is the biggest industry. Energy is the mm-hmm. biggest industry in, in pretty much every community that we operate in. Mm-hmm. But. We've seen the communities that have both forestry and energy do a lot better than those that are solely reliant on energy, on on energy. And mm-hmm. so, I think that what would be lost, frankly, is is some of that cushioning that we see and some of that economic mm-hmm. diversity and, and ability to bounce back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and just one of the only sustainable building materials we have on the planet, right? Done. Really, really well, arguably one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world, is, is done here in Canada. And to lose that on the world stage, I can't imagine the negative impacts. Yeah. On, you know I mean, what I mean? On a world level, a global level, that would, you know what I mean? The problems that would come with that would be astronomical. I can't even imagine.
3: Yeah, catastrophic, right? And I mean, and not to mention all of that, you know, stuff on the pulp side, the, the surgical masks and the and on the toilet paper and all that stuff.
0: <laughs> we need that. Yeah. Yeah, no wood products and just period in general, right? So, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that things are gonna. Like, I mean, we're like you said, we're fortunate enough to be able to operate within the confines of of this pandemic to some extent. So, I'm, I'm hoping that'll give us a, a heads up on getting back on track when things do go back to normal, and hopefully by the fall and winter, things are things are back to the way they were. Um. Yeah, I, you see it the same way. You're optimistic that these are gonna, things are going to go well in the end.
3: Yeah, I think that when we first, if you'd have talked to me, uh, a month ago, folks mm-hmm. in our industry were, were just trying to figure out like how they were going to pay the bills tomorrow. Yeah. And, and we've started to see that in conversations that we have with our board, with folks around the industry, now it's kind of shifting to, well, okay, things are going to return to normal. How do we set up for that? Yeah. yeah that, that, how do that's how, huge.
0: how do they prepare for the future? How do they prepare for this post-COVID future?
3: Coming uh, yeah, well, down the road? I think I think that's the $64,000 question right now. <laughs> uh because there's just so many unknowns but but it, it it's an important psychological shift when you start thinking about that rather than about the disaster that's you know uh immediately at hand.
0: Yeah. That that is huge actually. That's a good point. You're right. Instead of thinking about it as like, "Oh my god, the world is ending. Now we're at" Okay, how do we come out of this? That's that's huge. That is awesome.
3: Yeah, and I think that that's just kind of you know the last week or so we have kind of started to arrive there.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's huge to hear. I'm 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 glad to hear. I was hoping to hear what you've been saying. That's kind of what I was thinking. Was that the forest industry has an opportunity here to you know to hold on and they can do okay. Not to say they're not struggling. I can't imagine how difficult it must be for some of the people having to make those hard decisions. You know, some of the brass. Working for companies trying to figure out how to keep a company alive so that everyone can be employed on the other end versus you know having to shut their doors permanently. I can't imagine the
3: difficulty they must be going through, but yeah, it's. it's, I don't envy them because I mean, on one hand, you're you're thinking about the bottom line, and and obviously you can't you can't just spend infinite amounts of cash and not get anything in return. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you've also got priority number one is like making sure that this thing doesn't spread throughout our our facilities and get all of our folks and people around them sick. So yeah. there's, there's just a lot of there's a lot of things to think about and I, there's some smart people in the industry thinking about it. I am not one of them, but I'm glad that there's somebody who is cuz <laughs> it's, it's tough. Yeah.
0: No, yeah, it's definitely you don't want to be responsible for a part of an outbreak, right? Or for some some deaths because you didn't yeah. follow the rules or do what you could have done to 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 mitigate.
3: Yeah, and companies are doing problem, right are doing everything they can and we're we're following some of the advice that's out there from from health professionals and I mean that that's really all you can do, but yeah. that's where we're at. Oh, that's right.
0: Good. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear such an optimistic view, um and such a realistic view. So thanks for thanks for talking to me, man. This is perfect.
3: Thanks so much for having me on, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah.
0: thanks a lot for listening guys i uh I hope you got something out of that. I know this is a short episode a little different than what we normally do, or what I normally do is just me <laughs> but uh yeah it was I think it was uh important to do so one more episode coming out next week along this same vein again, we're gonna be talking to Todd Zimmerling from the Alberta Conservation Association about hunting, fishing uh fish stocking that kind of stuff just like how again how people can get out in the outdoors and enjoy their regular activities ethically and by you know not putting themselves at risk or others at risk so yeah that'll be good and then also talking to Ellen McDonald from the University of Alberta talking about what happened with them how did they deal with this how are they going to deal with this Um, how it affected students, staff, how it's affecting research, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, that'll be next week. So thanks again for listening, guys. Take it easy. Stay safe. Wash your hands. All that good stuff. See ya.